Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. We have a special speaker today, and he's Benjamin Green, happens to be my son, but that's not why he's preaching. He's preaching here today for two reasons. One, he was found faithful when he served here, when he ministered here. Uh, the deacons who were serving at the time will remember I gave them a resume with no name on it. It had a resume, it had a reference letter from a pastor where he'd served before and in another church. And I said, what do, would you think about having this guy come here and serve as an assistant here in the church? And they, all the deacons were like, this would be great. Who is he? And then I told him it was Benjamin, like, oh yeah, it'd be fantastic to get Benjamin back here. And it was a blessing when Benjamin and Meredith moved back here. And then a few years later, they felt called to ministry, and not only that, but called to a specific seminary, instead of the one up the road where uh, we helped to support he felt led to go to Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. He's been there studying. He's about halfway through his MDiv. It's a lot of classes and a lot of work, and he's doing well doing that, plus working, plus the family. And he was faithful when he served here in our church as a kid, serving in the nursery as an assistant, serving in Awana as a, a youth leader. And he was faithful when he served on the staff of our church, and he's gotten a lot of training and a lot of courses and done way better in Hebrew than his dad ever did. And it's a blessing to have Benjamin Green here to be our speaker. So, Benjamin, you come. Good morning. Good morning. It's always good to be here. Haven't been here very much the last couple of years, but, well, haven't been here at all the last two years, but it's always good to be here and um, I'm thankful for the privilege to open the word with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for these words of power that can never fail. And we do ask, like we just sang in that song, that you would please make their truth prevail over the unbelief in our hearts. Work in us as we look at your word together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter. That's where we'll be today. Growing up, I had an acquaintance whom I'll call Hank. I don't think anyone here would, would know this guy, but just in case, I'm changing the name. Um, he, he had a storied life. He was an exciting individual. He played guitar, rode a motorcycle. Um, he was a very interesting man, and one of the things that made him interesting is he was an avid prepper. Um, I don't, if you're not familiar with the term prepper, <laughs> it's one of those words that has a wide spectrum of people who, who would describe themselves as that. Um, you know, if you're here today and you use that term to describe yourself, please, no, I'm not insulting you, I promise. <laughs> I have a Berkey filter in my house. I have my grain stored in buckets. We're, we're, we're good to go. But anyway, Hank was an avid prepper. He believed that there was impending disaster and people needed to prepare. 
for the disaster that was coming. And a huge portion of his life was consumed by taking action against the threats that he saw around. He believed society was liable to collapse at any moment, whether that was due to nuclear war, currency collapse, um, and some such threat. So he kept gas masks, Geiger counters, radiation suits on hand. He also claimed to have stockpiled gold and guns in remote places all throughout the US. Um, so when things fell apart, he was gonna be ready. <laughs> He'd made a plan, he had invested time, money, and years of his life into ensuring that his needs, and, and his needs alone, would be covered. He took the threat seriously, and that drove him to action. And in his case, it was very selfish action, action to protect himself. But we have this broader idea in our culture. It's not a strange thought, right, that, that things will come to an end and that the end will be ugly. Um, we've got this familiar cultural image of a guy wearing a sign walking down the street. And the sign says, the end is near. He's ringing a bell. We hear media voices saying, oh, in as little as a decade or two, climate change is going to make the earth uninhabitable. We hear media voices on the other end of the spectrum warning of looming totalitarianism. My point is not to speak to the truth or falsehood of any of those things, but to point out that people, even non-Christians, recognize that the way things are now isn't going to continue forever. And even people who don't believe in Christ feel compelled to warn people about the fact that the end is coming. Whether they see this end being brought about by climate change, terrorism, economic collapse, rogue governments, or what's known as the eventual heat death of the universe, people see imminent threats and are driven to action. As Christians, we know that this idea has some truth in it. The New Testament writers were clear that the end is imminent. It could come at any moment. Certainly, the biblical descriptions of the tribulation period are ugly, horrific. Jesus might return to rapture the church at any moment, and when he does, our time of serving him here on this earth will be over and we'll be with him. And the apostles didn't just tell us this and move on, they left instructions. And they didn't say, go stockpile gold in the woods. And they didn't say, go put on a sign and yell at people. Um, the biblical idea is much richer and fuller than our culture's idea. While the culture is driven to action by perceived threats and taking those threats seriously, we are driven to action by hope and taking the promises of our Lord seriously. So in our text today, Peter tells us what it looks like to live with the end in mind in a way that glorifies God. God requires each of us as individuals to make effort and work at things, and God requires church-wide efforts. There are church-wide and theological principles underpinning these efforts. And in our text today, what Peter teaches is that because of our hope, in God's glory through Christ's coming. Believers must expend serious effort to lovingly and prayerfully serve each other. 
And Peter tells us to get serious about four things in light of the fact that Christ could return for us at any moment. So if you turn to chapter 4 of 1 Peter, we'll take a look at this together. 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, this starts out with the end is at hand, therefore. The end of all things is at hand, therefore. So the nearness of the end has immediate bearing on our lives. There's a little bit of, you know, a question here as to what Peter means by the end. He could have in view the rapture. You know, that's the next major event that we're waiting for and. God's timeline, or you could be using this as kind of like a summary, the whole process of the end, the whole process of God bringing us from where we are now, the church age, into the kingdom age. Either way, um, Peter's point here is reminding his readers that what they're experiencing now is temporary. And that fits in the context of the whole letter of 1 Peter. Uh, much of it revolves around the theme of suffering, and he's encouraging believers to persevere through suffering because of their hope in Christ. And so here, Peter's saying, it looks like it's going to go on forever, but it isn't. The end of all things is at hand. And the first thing that Peter tells us to do is really ordinary. It's to pray. We might expect Peter to command something extraordinary. You know, this is a common thing with cults, right? The end is near. Sell everything you have, go to one place, and wait. Um, but God doesn't command anything surprising here. He gives similar instructions to other New Testament passages. So the first thing that we need to get serious about is prayer. The nearness of the end requires believers to be serious about prayer. So the wording here, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Depending on the translation you have in front of you, a lot of translations use slightly different expressions here. And they might talk about being sober, having sound judgment, being self-controlled, being alert. But we have these two words, serious and watchful. Um, these cultural conceptions of what the end is like that I was talking about a little ago, a little bit ago, always come with panic and drastic action. Uh, just the cults, like I was just saying a minute ago. Panic, drastic action, because the end is near. Um, Christians are told to be serious. When I was graduating high school, the, the big slogan at the time was YOLO. 
uh, or hashtag YOLO, depending on who you were talking to. Y-O-L-O, you only live once. And people used it as an excuse to do all sorts of foolish things. I myself used it as an excuse to ride the Grizzly River Rapids ride at California Adventure when it was way too cold and I got soaked and it was a bad idea. Anyway, um, people use this idea. You only live once. Um, you, you never know when your end is gonna come. You never know when you're gonna die, so grab life and wrangle out of it whatever you want to get out of it. This, this selfish and foolish idea seems that coming face to face with the idea of the end, whether that's the end of everything or just the end of my life, makes people lose it. The first thing people throw out the window is discernment. Um, and that's not how Christians are to be. Because the end is at hand, because of that very thing, we are to be serious. We must judge and discern wisely. We must keep in mind what the real problems are, and we must not be distracted. We live in a day where we carry around devices that throw problems from all around the world into our attention round the clock. We cannot let algorithms determine what we pay attention to. We, we need to be self-controlled. We need to approach the world around us with careful discernment. Second, we need to be watchful in prayer. Watchfulness and seriousness go hand in hand as explanations of sober living. The reason I keep bringing that up is because it's something a lot of translations use here, and it's also something Peter's used already in chapter 1. Um, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Get, get ready for action. Be sober. Uh, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to be clear-headed in our prayer. We need to remember what real life is. Problems bring our eyes downward and inward. We get self-centered. We focus our prayers often on getting away from things we don't like. And there's a place for that. There's a time for that. But because we recognize that the end of all things is at hand, we need to be watchful in our prayers. We need to sometimes be praying when we're not panicking. Um, if, if we pray a lot, but we're always praying in a panic, we're never thinking clear-headedly about the things that we're praying, that's a problem. And, and Peter says here that we should sit down and think clearly about our circumstances. Seriously and watchfully. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. And, and we should think clearly about our circumstances and bring them before God. The nearness of the end requires us to approach prayer as a serious business. Secondly, the, the nearness of the end requires believers to get serious about love for fellow church members. See, Peter doesn't stop at telling us to pray. In verse 8, he says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So where the first instruction, to be serious and watchful in our prayer, pushes back at our human instinct to panic and behave haphazardly when faced with the reality of the end. 
This instruction about love pushes back against our selfishness. It is not the end is near, go get yourself ready. The end is near, every man for himself. God does not allow for that. Above all things, Peter says here. Above all things. I think it's safe to say that means it's super important, right? Mm -hmm. this, this is the big one. And he doesn't say, above all things, take care of yourself. This is another thing that our culture screams at us all the time. Above all things, practice good self-care. <laughs> so that you can have the energy and mental bandwidth to serve others. There's a time and there's a place for that. It's good to get sleep, it's good to eat good food, but love is the most important thing. So some implications of the phrasing here. The King James and the New King James say here, have fervent love for one another. Other translations will say things like keep or maintain. The, the idea is make sure you have it. So the, the have there is really important. Make sure that you have this fervent love. Believers in Jesus love his church. If there's no love of the church in your heart, you need to deal with that before the Lord. And Peter makes clear, it's your job to make sure that you are loving the people of this church. It's not their job to be lovable. I mean, it is, but that's not what's in view here. It, it's your job to love them whether or not they are being lovable. No matter what circumstances life is throwing at you, you can't say, well, you know what, I just don't like people, and withdraw. You can't say, oh, that one person drives me nuts, and withdraw. You don't get an excuse to pull back and withhold love from even one church member. You, you have to have it. You have to keep it constantly. And this isn't just any love, it's fervent love. It, Half-hearted love is not enough. It has to be active and full. And then Peter tells us why it's important. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Now this statement raises a, a multitude of questions. Um, if you read commentaries on 1 Peter, you're going to find they spend a whole lot of time talking about what exactly this means. It's a rough quotation from Proverbs. James says something similar. Um, that people stake out opinions on like, is this divine love or human love? What does the covering mean? I would love to get into that with you and talk through it with you, but we just don't have time. I don't want to keep you here till, you know, tonight. So um, I'm just going to skip to the end and tell you what I think it means. I think this is a parallel passage to 1 Corinthians 13, a chapter that talks about love, um, the, the phrase, love keeps no record of wrongs. Um, I think that's what's in view here. When a sin has been dealt with, it's done. Mm -hmm. Believers in Jesus must not hold grudges. It's your love for your fellow church members must be loyal and willing to forgive. 
This is, after all, the description of love that appears all throughout the Old Testament of our God. He's kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love. And we are to be the same. Just a reminder, it's above all things. Keep fervent love for one another. This is critical. The nearness of the end requires believers to get serious about love for their fellow church members. And it's no accident that Peter links prayer and love. It's no accident that they go together. Do you really think you're going to be able to maintain fervent, constant love for each other if you're not praying for each other? It's not going to happen. We need to be serious and watchful in our prayers, and we need to love our fellow church members. Third, the nearness of the end requires believers to get serious about serving each other. If we take a look at verses 9 and 10, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So there are two more commands here. Verse 9 says, be hospitable. And verse 10 says, minister to one another. Um, and both of these commands, to obey them, we have to be obeying the commands from verse 7 and 8. They require serious, watchful prayer and fervent love. And both of these commands also require effort and self-sacrifice. It's not something that's going to happen accidentally. So the first command, be hospitable. I mean, that goes beyond having people over for dinner. Um, it's having an attitude of hospitality, having an open door to believers, a willingness to let others into your life, even if it makes you uncomfortable. You should have some willingness to have others disturb your plans, invade your space, eat your food, and to do it without grumbling, without ever complaining even a little bit. Uh, remember, the end is near. There's, there's some urgency to this. Remember, love covers over offenses. We must not grumble. And also recognize that he, he says specifically, be hospitable without grumbling. And when the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write that down, I think the Holy Spirit knew what human hearts were like. <laughs> we are going to be tempted to grumble when we are hospitable. We are going to be tempted to sin by complaining. The second command here, the twin command with be hospitable, is minister to one another. Every believer is a minister. Ministry is not the purview of the professionals. Every believer is a minister. Every believer has gifts that are to be employed in the service of others. You need to do this. You have a gift that God has given you. Um, spiritual gifts is another thing commentators spill a lot of ink over. And once again, another thing we don't have the time to unpack fully, this idea of spiritual gifts. I'm going to give you just a very brief primer to help make sure we understand what Peter is saying here. 
So a spiritual gift is something that God enables an individual to do skillfully in service of the church body. The gifts are for the church. Um, you find people with all sorts of weird ideas about spiritual gifts. Um, you know, don't read about it too much on the internet, probably. Do people, <laughs> people have all sorts of strange ideas. The first thing to, to make sure we understand is that spiritual gifts are for the church. So, and, and they're also um, to be used in service of the church. Romans 12, 3 through 8, links spiritual gifts with faith. I'm not going to turn there right now, but you can write it down if you want to look later. Romans 12, 3 through 8. It also links gifts with service in the church. Ephesians 4 is talking about the church as a body. And in verse 16, it talks about each part of the body doing its work. Um, each member of a church body has a unique gifting to be used in service of that church body. God, in his grace, has equipped each one of us differently. There's some overlap, for sure. Um, but some people think that, you know, if they don't have a particular gift, they don't need to do that thing. Oh, if I don't have the gift of mercy, I can just speak my mind whenever I want. Um, other people think that spiritual gifts involve weird supernatural experiences. Uh, some people talk about spiritual gifts as if you're like channeling the Holy Spirit to other people. Uh, scripture doesn't say any of that. When you look at all the teaching on spiritual gifts through the whole Bible, you find that they're talking about this, that God providentially prepares each person to serve the church. And Peter here is telling us, whatever your gift is, use it. Use it. You need to, with discernment, sobriety, prayer, and love, you need to use your gift to serve others in this church. So we have, we have these two commands here that go together. We've got twin commands in 7 and 8, pray and love. And then twin commands in 9 and 10, be hospitable without grumbling and minister. And hospitality, it's, you know, about letting others into your life. Ministering is about you getting into others' lives. You need to be faithful with what God has given you by using it. Use it to minister to others as they come into your life. Use it to minister to them as you are a part of their lives. And if you don't, then you're being a bad steward. I think about the parable of the coin. Um, you know, the, the master comes and he gives coins, and the bad steward buries his coin under the ground and doesn't use it. And we don't want to be that bad steward. The nearness of the end requires us to be serious about serving each other. And then fourth, the nearness of the end requires believers to get serious about God's glory. Read Verse 11 here again. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in this final verse of this unit, there are two categories here that Peter talks about. He talks about speaking and serving. Um, and I do think it's valid to say that, you know, generally speaking is something you do in front of people and serving is generally something you do behind the scenes. It does seem like this is related to the gifts that he talks about in verse 10, but I think that people sometimes make too much hay out of that. A lot of people will go through and look at the lists of gifts found in other texts and then try to categorize each one. Well, this one's a speaking gift, this one's a serving gift, this one, there's some validity to that, there is. But we're people and when we interact with each other, we talk to each other, whatever gift you're using is gonna involve speaking in some way. <laughs> and whatever gift you're using, the gifts are for serving the church, so whatever gift you're using, it's gonna involve serving in some way. So I think this, Verse 11 here has an application to everybody, um, not just people who are, you know, in public speaking or people who are, you know, literally serving each other meals. This has an application to all of us as we are using our gifts to serve our churches. So in verse 10, Peter tells us to use our gifts. And then verse 11, he tells us how to use them and what will happen when they are used. And one striking thing is that he's instructing people here, but God is all through this. As you use your gift, you're being a steward of God's grace. As you speak, you're speaking as the oracles of God. As you minister, you're doing it with the ability which God supplies that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So God is the one who has truth. God is the one who supplies strength. God is the one with grace. God is the one who will get glory. So Peter here is saying, because the end is near, do everything to the glory of God. Again, this is not extraordinary. This is something we find elsewhere in the New Testament. Scripture's full of texts that place the glory of God at the center of human existence, Old and New Testaments. But notably, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Colossians 3.17, talk similarly to verse 11 here. Everything that we do must be for God's glory. You've probably heard over the years the famous question from the Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Problem is, that's a little bit nebulous. Okay, I need to glorify God. But God is all glorious. It's not like I can add to his glory. Um, Peter here gives us instructions of how to glorify God. And I'm really glad that he does. Because otherwise, we'd be stuck here with that question, you know. God's already all glorious. I can't add to it. So what in the world does it mean to glorify God? But Peter says, if we do this, then God will be glorified. So what is it that we need to do? Well, verse 11 says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. As you find yourself speaking, 
speak as one who is speaking God's words. I, the, that phrase, the oracles of God, can have like this, I don't know, mystical, experiential vibe to, to modern ears that could be a little off-putting. Just think authoritative words when you see the word oracles there. That's what it, that's what it means. Um, so this definitely has some special application to people who are preaching, people who are teaching. Um, but Ephesians 5 tells every believer to teach and admonish one another in singing and speaking. Every believer is to speak the truth in love. And as we do that, we need to handle God's word seriously and confidently. As we speak, speak as though we're speaking God's words. So, for one thing, we need to make sure we are speaking God's words. We need to make sure we're being faithful to scripture. We need to make sure we're not sinning in our speech. But also, you know, once we've made sure of those things, we need to be confident. We should not be afraid to speak God's word even when it flies in the face of our culture. We should not be afraid to speak God's word even when it flies in the face of our, our family culture, our, our family and friends' opinions. Um, we shouldn't be brash and harsh. That's, that's not how God speaks, generally speaking. There's a time and a place for that. But we need to confidently bring God's word to bear in the lives of other church members as we seek to build up our churches. And we can't be flippant when we're speaking about God's truth. We can't dismiss or overlook any part of it. There are no winks and nods when you're talking about the word of God. It doesn't belong to us. It's God's word. And he will get the glory. So the first thing that we do to bring God glory is be serious when we are speaking his truth. The second thing here in verse 11 is to be serious when we are serving. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. As you find yourself serving, recognize God has empowered you to do it. If you squander that empowerment, you're squandering a gift of God. You know, imagine a student who gets a college scholarship, takes the money, uses it all in restaurants, and then tries to work two jobs to pay for his schooling. Mm. Be like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And it's kind of insulting to the people who gave him the scholarship, right? It's just foolish. You know, doesn't he know it's already been paid for? We're doing something similar if we don't serve in accordance with our gifting. If we don't try to determine our areas of gifting, you know, get active in serving other church members and through that active service, find your areas of gifting and focus on serving in accordance with your gifting. If you don't do that, you're squandering an opportunity. And if you don't serve God with confidence, you're doing that wrong too. See, there's, there's two possible ditches, right? There's, there's self-aggrandizement and self-abasement. You might walk around saying, you know, I've got this. I can serve anywhere. I can do anything. Or you might walk around saying, I'm worthless. I can't do anything. I have 
nothing that I can do to benefit others. Both of those are false. God has given you a gift and use it. You need to use it. Recognizing that he supplies ability and strength. God has given you this gift. Serve in the way that brings him glory. Use his supplied strength and give him the credit. The nearness of the end requires believers to get serious about God's glory. And then we see here at the end of verse 11 that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this unit starts by reminding us that the end is near and it ends by reminding us that as the end comes, it will come with Jesus having dominion over this earth. God has ultimate dominion over everything now, but in the kingdom age, Jesus will rule and reign on this earth. It will happen. And other texts of scripture speak to the fact that the service that we have now has implications in this kingdom age. We need to remember what real life is. And as we've talked about prayer and love and service and God's glory, from Monday through Saturday, a lot of those things feel distant in a way that on Sunday they don't. On Sunday, it's a lot easier to remember the truth. But the fact is, glory and dominion belong to Jesus Christ. Amen. During the week, we need to treat these things just as seriously as we do on Sunday. <laughs> so this is a fairly practical text already. It doesn't require a whole lot of work to get from the text to thinking about how to apply it in our own lives. But I want to ask you a few questions. Just think about them silently. Think about these, you know, be conscious of yourself and, and do you treat serious things seriously? God's word says that the end of all things is near. It's important for us to make sure we're focusing on the right thing. We don't know how much time we have. Do you set aside intentional time for prayer to consciously and deliberately choose which requests you bring before God? Maybe you're a busy parent and you feel like you don't have time to carve out for prayer. I feel that temptation. God, I'm too busy. You've got responsibilities at work, at home, at church. Feels like every minute you have is taken already. But remember, God's word says it's critically important for you to be serious and watchful in your prayer life. Do you intentionally cultivate deeper love for your church family members? Maybe you're content to 
tolerate your church family members. Maybe you're a teenager or a recent grad, you feel like you're not really a part of the church, so it doesn't matter. Or I mean, maybe if you're honest with yourself, there's some things you don't like about this church or the people in it, and, and you, you've harbored a bad attitude. Remember, God's word says, above all, cultivate fervent, serious, committed love for one another. Do you hold grudges against your fellow church members? Maybe you haven't spoken to somebody in years. I don't know. I haven't been here in years, so it's easy for me to say this. <laughs> I don't know, you know? Maybe you haven't spoken to each other because of some slight that happened in the past. Remember, God's word says, love one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So then the next question, are you serving? Are you being hospitable? Again, I don't know. It's really easy for me to stand up here and ask these questions because I don't know. <laughs> are you actively letting others into your life and working on getting into theirs? You know, uh, a number of you here are retired. Uh, everything in culture screams at retirees. Pull back, sit back, relax. Stop working forever, you've earned it. God's word says your career might be over, but your service in the church isn't. You need to be making conscious efforts to serve your church family members. Be hospitable to them and minister to them with God's empowerment. As you serve, do you have a proper view of yourself? Or are you self-abasing or self-aggrandizing? You know, maybe you're a parent who says, my house is too messy, I can't use it for hospitality, or we're too busy, I can't go over to that widow's house to pray with her. I'm a terrible cook, there's no way I should volunteer to make a meal when other people could make one that's so much better. You know, God's word says that you need to serve, and you need to serve with your gifting. Do so with God's empowerment. As the end draws near, we must expend serious effort to lovingly and prayerfully serve each other in order to bring glory to God. And God will be glorified when we do this through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Let's pray. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. Lord, there's a part of each one of us that cries out for our own glory. We have this sin nature. Help us to resist it. Help us to live the way we are instructed to live in this text. Help us to pray, to love, to serve. Help us to be serious about these things and about your glory, which will come through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.